Once Upon a Time Season 5 Episode 16 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap. Now I am joined by a man who is currently marking his calendar for April 15th to plan an exuberant festival to celebrate Zelina's birthday. It is Kurt Clark. Kurt, how you doing? I'm doing good. Just want to remind you, you're not podcasting with me because of the man behind the microphone. You're podcasting with me because of the man and the microphone. Oh, I'm so torn now. <laughs> so many emotionally torn, uh, maybe even questionable decisions on tonight's Once Upon a Time as Selena and Belle now enter the underworld. We are avoiding a season three landscape where we have half of our characters in Storybrooke and half of them in the underworld. It seems like everyone's in one big questionably happy place right now uh, and there are you know uh, some tumultuous relationships going on with those two characters specifically yeah there's, there's becoming less and less reason for us to have to flash anywhere in storybook for anything to go on because we just have kind of brought everybody here to the underworld to underbrook um i guess it kind of makes it a little bit easier and it, I, I did like the and i'm sure we'll get to it i did like the call back to uh where are we and why is the sky red <laughs> and i was because i was i was trying to figure out if if bell and zelina I, I was pretty sure that this was the underworld but i thought i was seeing kind of a red tinge to everything and, and sure enough uh we, we were so i think we're we're close to having critical mass of almost everybody here just about you know seven dwarves and we're set but before we get to that uh we have a couple of items to address from last week's podcast now one thing was that we put out a question to the general once upon a recap community asking when was the last time we saw the jolly roger and uh we've got a great number of answers uh, and they all pointed to the same place which was very very recently i guess it was a momentary lapse in memory there where we had forgotten that actually we saw in the second to last episode of the first half of this season Hook had dueled Mr. Gold on the Jolly Roger. And that's where he also pulled Emma or Emma had pulled him aboard earlier on in the season. And he gave that tearful confession about how I don't love you anymore. And this was all brought about because I believe uh, in the second half of season four, Ursula brought the, the Jolly Roger back uh, to Storybrooke in order to sort of help her find her voice in a way. So it's been around for a while. So thank you guys all for uh, providing that answer. And also... We don't necessarily have a correction as much as we have a correction on behalf of Adam Horowitz, one of the creators of Once Upon a Time, who admittedly tweeted out that there was a line in the previous episode about how Regina says, oh, I tore these pages, the pages with me as the evil queen out of the storybook so that Henry would never know I was the evil queen back in season one. But it turns out Henry had actually done that and several fans had corrected Adam Horowitz on Twitter. He admits, oops, yeah. Uh, are bad. I, I forgot to uh, fact check that. So shame on you, Adam Horowitz, even though we, we love your product. But I just wanted to issue that correction as well in case anyone else was confused when they listened back to it last time. Yeah, it's a lot, a lot to keep track of here. Thank you guys for uh, pointing us in the right direction. I knew that well, I think we figured when we were talking about the Jolly Roger that there's probably some time recent that we that we couldn't remember. So I think for, for moments like that, it's just nice to kind of to toss the question out there and see what responses we get. Absolutely. And speaking of responses, I just want to put this out again that as this season gets along and as these plots get more and more deliciously complicated, we love to hear your feedback. And I know this I give this disclaimer at the end of every show, but I want to give it here in the beginning as well, just because we want to hear your theories, guys. We want to hear your thoughts, your postulates, your, you know, if, if certain symbols harken back to other storylines, we want to hear it. And so 
if you want to get in touch with us during the course of the week, I would encourage you to please leave a comment on postshowrecaps.com. If it's something short, you can tweet it at us. You can even write an email to feedback at postshowrecaps.com if you have a dissertation on what you believe Hades' plans might be and how he ultimately ties into every one of our characters. So we are very eager to read any and all of your thoughts. And in fact, there's a theory that was posted on the page last week that we'll bring in this week. So if you have any ideas, we'd love to hear them. Just please let us know them. Yeah, there's a. I know that there's some that we have that are kind of wild and out there, and some that are a little bit more on track. and And I think just you know expanding it out to see what you guys think is just going to exponentially grow into I think all sorts of either you know predictive wonderfulness or uh, awesome craziness. So I, th- I think either of those directions is, is good stuff. So yeah, br- br- yeah, bring it on. Look, go to the comments section and uh, and let us know. I'd say from that dichotomy you just presented, our own personal postulations are probably like 2080 in terms of they're mostly ludicrous, but there's occasionally little nuggets of lucidness there. Very, very little nuggets. Very, very little. But let's go stay away from the gold or at least Mr. Gold for now. Um, I want to get I want to talk about all the Oz stuff first, because uh, we saw Oz very briefly last season when we had that whole heart of gold story where Robin Hood was tasked to go steal the the heart potion from Zelina, but we really haven't seen too, too much of Oz since Zelina was introduced back at the end of season three. Kurt, I know you're a big fan of the Oz storyline and of Zelina as a character. Were you ecstatic beyond belief to see Oz play a major component in the flashbacks this episode? It was really, it was really nice. I think we got to see a little bit more of the geography. Um, It's, it's definitely, you know, that uh, darker time in Oz. You know, this is after, you know, Dorothy has already left. Um, you know, you know, the Wicked Witch of the of the West has kind of come back into power. Uh, so it is kind of like a, a new part of the story that we haven't seen. I mean, there's plenty of novels that take place after Dorothy initially returns to Kansas. But I think this is exploring, like, obviously, none, none of those deal with Hades suddenly visiting Oz. Uh, never, nothing really kind of takes that twist. So uh, it, it is kind of nice to see a little bit more. I mean, it's a whole area that's rich in its own mythology. Um, you know, we, we got to see, I think, one of the the, the, the nice uh, visitation of the Scarecrow, uh, you know, some, some, some munchkin action, uh, which really is really <laughs> unfortunate turn of phrase um it, it was nice to have all of these these little tropes that are kind of associated uh, directly with oz make an appearance so i was very happy to see that and i think making a comparison to what we talked about last week this is another perfect example of we have a really blank canvas when it comes to oz and zelina's history i mean we have as you mentioned i think this sort of falls between Zelina appearing in the Enchanted Forest and before when she'd found out that Dorothy was there and she'd basically been jealous and she'd uh, been paranoid that Dorothy was there to get rid of her. So she sort of faked her own death and then pretended to be the wizard and basically sent Dorothy out by giving her those silver slippers. So this is, again, a really big canvas for them to work with. And they were able to paint some really interesting colors with, with much more romantic colors than I think we thought. I think even from the previews, I don't know how much I would have bet that a genuine Hades Zelina showmance would have happened over the course of these 42 minutes. So <laughs> there's a lot of Zelina and Regina comparisons to be made in this episode specifically. And we begin here very appropriate with Zelina celebrating her abandonment day, I guess as Hades <laughs> coins it, not necessarily her birthday or her unbirthday since we're not in Wonderland. Uh, but it compares really nicely to how Regina celebrated her birthday uh, with a giant towering black cake. Here's Alina just has a very simple cupcake with green frosting. 
Yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a little sad. I mean, we get a nice little flashback to Cora uh, in the mirror, and you know the the baby kind of being you know abandoned. Um, and it, it didn't really hit me that you know because of all of this uh, you know stuff from her past that she doesn't actually have a true birthday. Uh, unfortunate, um, but we we kind of quickly you know get. I don't know if this is the best birthday gift ever, but you know. Flying monkey comes in and dumps a scarecrow at her feet. All right, Kurt, we got to talk about this because we, we have received a couple comments in the past few episodes about, you know, oh, what's going on with the effects on Hades hair and Corella's eyebrows. And especially one re- one <laughs> listener in particular was very perturbed about just the way the whole Liam farewell scene looked with the CGI boat in the Olympian Ocean. Uh, this was ugh. This the, the scarecrow, and I I can understand it might be tough to make like a cartoony looking scarecrow look somewhat realistic in this world, but that might be some of the worst CGI I've seen on this show in quite some time. Um, I don't know. There was some pretty bad uh, computer animation when it came to Henry's acting in the first couple seasons. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I mean that's I mean uh, you know maybe they used a scarecrow for that, a realistic one to to sub in for his uh, double whenever they were doing uh, reverse shots. And and you know what, I've 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 still the only issue I've really had has been the whole Chernabog animation, um, but like this. This I didn't actually have that ba- that much of an issue with, and I don't know. It's like now it's like every time there's anything remotely CGI that happens, I expect there's going to be some sort of outrage. So I, I think I kind of only I, I really tried not to focus too much on it, so that I was like maybe whenever the scarecrow was on the on the screen, I was focusing on either Zelina or Dorothy, just so that if I I was afraid if I focused too much in the scarecrow, I would be. I, I didn't know if I was going to be upset or not by the CGI. So I really don't want to comment because I purposefully didn't analyze that too much yeah, uh, so from, 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 from that casual viewing of it though. I really didn't mind it a whole lot. Um, but again, it was, it was kind of something I, I didn't focus on too much. I mean, the scarecrow to you is basically like a facial blemish on a person that you're talking to. Like all you're thinking is do not look at the scarecrow. Do not look at the <laughs> scarecrow. Uh, so, I mean, good on you for doing that. It was just something that like removed me a little bit because again, uh, once upon a time is trying to take these stories and adapt them a little bit. I mean, we have Dorothy here sort of pulling a snow white and the huntsman in terms of kind of being this, you know, badass woman with a knife and a sheath. And then you have this really dopey looking scarecrow that you might find in like a Geico commercial, do uh, doping it up in the corner. So it, it, I don't think it removed me completely from the scene. I was also drawn back into due to the fact that not only Dorothy was there, but Toto was there as a dog yeah. lover. Uh, I, Toto I squeed. Toto too. I did squee a little bit when I saw that nose poke out of that bag. Uh, so I, and especially since the scarecrow was pretty much relegated to the corner, they were wise enough to say, "Okay, he's not going to be featured in any one of, the, and he's not going to be featured on screen for more than like ten seconds at a time, uh, probably from a budgetary restriction." I was okay with it. It was just I'd have to say comparing it, Chernabog might be up there as well, but I'd, I maybe just in comparison to the rest of what was going on, since Oz is very. Um, aesthetically specific where you are going for something that's more garish and more popping from a, from a visceral perspective than you might in the enchanted forest. It just stood out to me more. I can, I can see that. And plus it's, it is few and far between that we have uh, animated characters. I mean, and this was an animated character who was like supposed to be, uh, you know, anthropomorphic and intelligent and talking like, like, 
you know, we, this, that's different than Hades blue hair. And even Chernabog wasn't like, so let's talk about, uh, be about to kill you. <laughs> exactly. you know, that's my shirt. That's, that's the Chernabog impression. Oh, so how's it going? I'm going to kill you now. Um, the, so you know, this was like, this was something that was supposed to have, you know, engaging verve and animation. And again, unlike Henry in the first couple of seasons. Um, and so I, mean, I think that was, they had a much tough, they were setting them up, setting themselves up for a much tougher job and a higher potential for failure, but trying to bring a character like this into the show. Well, let's not get too hung up on it like a scarecrow yeah. in a cornfield. Uh, but Dorothy comes in to save the scarecrow as Lena wants the scarecrow to enact her long seated time travel plan, which she does finally execute at the very end of season three. But to remind you, it's basically to gather, I think it's an item of intelligence, innocence, love, and courage. And they're using some form of magic. She'll basically be able to summon a portal where she can go back in time. And her big master plan during season three was to go back and basically prevent Cora from giving her away or switching the babies so that she'd become the raised good child and get whatever Regina had. Uh, but before she's able to do that this time, Dorothy comes in to prevent it, specifically Toto, because while Zelina, uh, Dorothy distracts Zelina and Zelina has pretty horrible aim for this scene uh but toto brings down the curtain on her literally and they're able to escape in time <laughs> good aim bad timing <laughs> yeah i guess so the target was there at one point within that like a five second period so it's a little slow on the draw so it's more like bad reflexes um yeah and so that uh you know poor guard lost his head <laughs> yeah unfortunately and i i thought his head would get turned into something funny but again maybe they spent all their vfx budget on the scarecrow for that scene i also thought the toto curtain moment was nice because it sort of lies in parallel to in the movie the wizard of oz where toto is the one to pull back the curtain and reveal who the wizard is that he's just a man toto is also just pulling down the curtain literally on Zelina this time so toto is a master curtain puller across all forms of media yeah, I mean, that almost, you could have probably an entire podcast on Toto only because I'm saying that, you know, is he this ultra intelligent creature? Is he more intelligent than the scarecrow? Could, uh, Zelina be going for Toto's brain? Uh, is, is he the real brains behind the operations, you know, to get the, to get the wisdom that's needed for this, uh, spell? Or as you kind of pointed out, is he kind of a one trick dog? Uh, <laughs> in, in terms of it just, he just happens to be good at, at taking down curtains. And in that case, was the group just lucky that Selena happened to be under a curtain that was that Toto was tempted by? Like, was it was there planning there? Uh, is is this something that was just uh, uh, you know serendipity because that that you know Toto has this thing for curtains? I, I don't think we'll ever know. At least not after this episode. Well, we'll talk about that more on Toto Talk coming up with myself, Kurt, and Keith Nail as we talk about everything Toto <laughs> and Toto related. Uh, so before leaving, though, Dorothy kind of hammers this idea into Zelina's head of, you know, you might be all powerful, but I have the respect and love of the people. And again, another Regina parallel, and Regina will even uh, lampshade this a little bit later. But we get some munchkins here. Now, I believe this is the first time we have seen the munchkins kurt how did they stack up for you in comparing it to the movie and or the literature not very high <laughs> well, oh, oh okay yep. yeah okay it works you, on multiple you, levels you 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 teed that one up for me it was that was yeah. slow pitch um yeah no it was it, it was nice to see uh the munchkin land and um uh yeah, I guess we we even got the name of one of the munch the, the munchkin that was turned into into ash was named Bok B O Q. Thank you. Closed captioning. Um, yeah. But yeah, she's gone into full 
interrogation mode. Again, like you said, this is this is a, a another parallel that we've we definitely see Zelina and uh, Regina, at least oh, uh, evil queen Regina. Both are very adept at threatening the villagers and killing off one of them. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And uh, by the way, Bach, at least I don't know if this is true in the book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, but at least in the musical Wicked, Bach is a munchkin that eventually gets turned into the Tin Man through a set of very circumstances. So I thought for a second that that's how we're, we were going to see the Tin Man being formed. But maybe it was just sort of a, an extra Easter egg. And Bach is a completely different character in the books that I don't know about. He was he was a minor character in the books. It was it wasn't until Wicked that uh, he was kind of transformed in that way. He's, but, he was, yeah, he 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 was just a regular old regular old munchkin. Well, I'm glad he was brought in from a you know a, a featured extra to day player in this episode at least. But while Bach disappears, we get our introduction of Hades in Oz uh, as he <laughs> blues himself as he seems to do as of late to introduce himself, and he is very impressed about Zelina's ability to send souls his way, and he points out that uh, again. You do not have the love and respect of the people, but I can help you. And uh, for the first of many times this episode, Zelina is going to refuse help from somebody. Yeah, I think this is. Uh, I think this. I don't know if, and for slightly different reasons every time. And I, at this point, I don't necessarily get the sense that it's due to a lack of trust as much more than it's a a, a, a almost. It almost feels more like a point of pride for her. Yeah. Absolutely. This is a person who got abandoned as a child. I feel like you come from a perspective there of like, I'm struck out on my own. I've relied on myself the entire time. So I'm good accomplishing all my goals. I think it's tough to ask for help in that perspective, especially since the way Zelina was raised. I mean, her mother died in childhood. Uh, Her father was like, I wouldn't say abusive, but he was a drunk and he was very neglectful and angry towards her. So she didn't necessarily grow up having to rely on anybody for aside from basic necessities. And once she had those, I think she's she's all about being a strong, independent woman uh, as much as that is, you know, refusing the service of the Lord of the Underworld. Yeah, I think there's there's some uh, probably anthems out there that she could play in the background. I'm every woman. You know, I don't know. Uh, it's it's. You know, but I also think that she's just never really had that that opportunity to partner with somebody uh, that's at, at her level, and 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 this is a great opportunity for her. So let's talk about that opportunity because Hades is definitely not giving up here, and he draws a parallel between her thoughts about Regina with his thoughts about Zeus, and I think we're slowly filling in the blanks here with how does Greek mythology tie into our current mythology in Once Upon a Time, and it seems like. It seems like the the whole Zeus Hades thing, I think that was taken from the movie as well, because I mean, I, I can't remember off the top of my head if there were any myths where Hades was flat out saying, hey, I'm jealous that Zeus got everything. Because in Greek mythology, I believe after the Titans were overthrown, basically Poseidon, Hades and Zeus were like, OK, let's basically, you know, pick out of a hat who gets the sky who gets the sea who gets the underworld and so Hades just you know drew a bad mark whether he thought the deck was stacked against him who knows but it seems like more so in Greek mythology he's just sort of given the hand he's dealt with and he sort of revels in that yeah I mean at the time uh basically Hades was given uh the, the, the domain of the underworld and you know Hades received the underworld Zeus received the air and Poseidon received the sea um and it, it all kind of happened concurrently um and and i think then the earth was given to like all three to share um and i think what we talked about before how like in 
it wasn't that hate that that the underworld was a bad place. It's just a place where the dead went to. Um, so this is a little bit of a twist on that in terms of like from from traditional Greek mythology in terms of um, uh, uh, the underworld and having to serve there being a punishment versus kind of its own reward. Yeah, and there's another big twist on mythology here in that I couldn't tell if Hades was speaking metaphorically or not, but he was talking about how, like, I was once a man who had a heartbeat, and now I have lost that beat in my heart, but if I get true love's kiss, my heart will resuscitate itself, and I will be able to walk the surface once again. Yeah, um... I'm not that well versed. I, I don't think that that's, I mean, obviously I think in Greek mythology, it's not so much that his goal is to walk the earth again. Um, he, he can, I believe walk the earth. Um, but we do see, and, and I've actually thought this at other times during the, this, the season so far, uh, you know, there is the whole story of Persephone and Hades and, you know, Persephone, like he kidnaps her and he's, he's in love with her. And so I thought even initially when we saw Meg first in those, in the, in the, in the maze of passages, uh, the guarded by Cerberus, I had actually thought that that might initially be Persephone, or we even saw back in the the first episode when we first meet Hades, there's that slightly blonde woman, I don't think that was Meg at the time, who was like, you know, seemed like giving him a pedicure, giving Hades mm-hmm. a pedicure or something, and I thought that might be Persephone. So I, I keep thinking that at some point we may see some sort of Persephone-like uh, love interest for Hades, especially at this point when he's talking about love and he can't feel anything. But then things happened during this episode that made me wonder if there is indeed a different love interest that's supposed to connect with Hades by the end of the season or at some future point. And we'll yeah, talk Ori about that. Co- yeah, Ori have uh, wrote a great theory on, uh, on post-show recaps about this on our previous episode page about how he agrees. He thinks that there is some sort of Persephone connection there somewhere. He had theorized that it might be Zelina, and we might have gotten a taste of that, even though, again, Zelina rejected his advances, and it's not like he kidnapped her uh, down to the underworld and right. caused seasons to happen. But I think, I think we're getting closer and closer on the trail here of someone, uh, someone that is sort of making Hades heartbeat, not literally, but in terms of guiding his actions a little bit. And he also had a theory that Hades might be the reason that Zelina is as powerful as she is. Now, I don't think we got that this episode as much as we got maybe Hades being so powerful showed her how strong she can be as an independent woman. Going back to that theme that you just spoke of, because we'll talk about it in in a few minutes, but she does eventually spurn his advances, even though she thinks it might've been from ulterior motives. I think it does reinforce the idea in her head of like, okay, I'm I'm out here on my own, getting my own revenge with nobody else's help. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, there, there may not be a Persephone by name, but I think there's definitely a room. And I think we saw in this episode, there's, there's a, opportunity for uh i, I kind of like how or seems to be framing it up as a persephone type character whether or not it is truly somebody who is persephone or it's somebody that acts as that that character a love interest for hades and he did kind of kidnap her this episode through his forcing of gold to open a portal that brought uh you know zelina to the world to the underworld so it, it, there is kind of the, the parallel from that perspective as well well, we'll see if Hades is searching for at a Persephone type anytime soon. But Hades is is basically trying to to goad Zelina into saying like, look, let me help you. Let's use this time travel spell together so I can get onto Mount Olympus and help you. Help me help you. I think he almost like he almost does quote Jerry Maguire there. Uh, I think he he paraphrases it a little bit. But the solution to helping figure out where Dorothy and the Scarecrow are to get that brain is l- a bike. 
a, ma- a soon-to-be enchanted bike, or as uh, Zelina puts it, a piece of tin can. Yeah, I mean, I, she, she came this close to calling it a dingle hopper. I was really kind of hoping that would happen. <laughs> well, luckily, uh, you know, the, the bicycle wasn't found in the basement of the house and that the house wasn't called the Alamo, because I feel like that would <laughs> just confuse things a lot further. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that, was, that was good. Between that and your Chernabog impression, I feel like you can make quite a reel there, Kurt. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So they get to where Dorothy landed in Oz, and this is where Hades sort of introduces the idea of a loca- uh, locating or tracker spell to Zelina. But at first, they're going to have a little bit of an enjoyable rom-com-esque uh, bike ride. I was, I was waiting for, like, Roll to Me to, to play in the background as, as they're riding through the woods. And Hades gets a feeling... And I'll admit, I know this is a family-friendly show, Kurt, but there's... <laughs> no, I got it, too. I got it, too. We don't there have There was to definitely, <laughs> like, with that look that he gave, uh, gave off a, a, a little bit of a different feeling than he talks about afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, he gets the strange feeling whenever he rides a bike. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. I, uh, I, have, I have nothing to add there. He lo- no. It seemed like he lost his breath for a moment. Um, yeah, I, I did like Zelina's comparing. It's like a it's like a broom with wheels. Like I, I kind of enjoyed that. And yeah, it's but there was a that stretch where they just suddenly it seemed like they kind of like they take off on the bike, but then it's like a jump cut to them riding and laughing and falling and laughing. And it was it was a strange like ten seconds there of ecstatic bike riding. Um, <laughs> and and. and it really does make me wonder. I mean, it actually made me wonder if Hades had cast some sort of spell on the bike and Zelina, because it's like almost the moment they fall off of it and like, like a, then, and they stand up, Zelina's like completely back on mission. Like she's back yeah. on point and ready to be like, okay, um, you know, let's go get, let's go, let's go get this woman. Let's go get Dorothy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that. I mean, I, I I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibilities there. I do agree that 10 second stretch was very strange because a, it felt, I'm again, it felt very rom-com esque for me, like something you would see in a montage B these are with two characters that we haven't really seen this out of so far. And to me, I very much enjoyed getting to see this really more emotional, softer side of Zelina this episode. But the entire time, I was almost coming at it from a little bit of a wary perspective because these two people we've known so far, they don't, they've kind of both been heartless in terms of I'll do whatever it takes to get what I want. And so with both of them, Hades, especially throughout this whole flashback sequence and in the final scene of the episode, I still am thinking, okay, does this guy have an ulterior motive for the way he's acting towards Zelina? Is he trying to goad her into a relationship so that he can, as Zelina accuses him of in the next scene, trying to basically get what he wants without basically stepping over her heart. And I, I still don't know if I feel that way or if it really is genuine feelings. I don't know if the show wants us to feel that way. I mean, it's interesting. Like you could, if this was maybe a darker show, you could have seen them falling in love over some shared moments of mayhem. Um, it, it almost seemed like riding the bike suddenly transported them to this. We've used the word innocence before for the purpose of what's needed for the time travel spell, but it almost seemed like riding on the bike for these two gave like a shifted their mood to one of innocence. And by, and that shift maybe allowed them to have this moment of love. And, and it says an interesting thing about the, 
you know, maybe the perspective that the the writers and the creators have on love. That it, almost, it almost has to kind of come from a good place or an innocent place. Whereas I could just as easy, easily seen these two, like once again, um, having like uh, just getting into a passion over, you know, decimating a squad of munchkins and then just like, you know, falling into each other's arms, like uh, right when they get done and, and just completely like falling in love. Again, I could have seen passion arising from mayhem not necessarily an innocent bike ride yeah i completely agree because again Hades said when he first appeared that he what he admired most about zelina is basically her heartlessness right. <laughs> in, in a manner of speaking saying oh you kill so many people and send to so many souls to me I, I really appreciate that and that's i think the quality that he really lusted after so again a weird bike ride that you might find between like hugh grant and sandra bullock outside of this show is kind of a weird, disparate type of thing that would make him fall in love with her. Though, again, we don't know. Too, we're slowly finding out more and more about Hades over the course of these episodes. So maybe but, he's a secret romantic at heart. It's interesting. This and this episode did a lot of work to try to make Hades and Zelina seem human and likable, as as if setting them up for some sort of. Uh, redemption story where we come out of it with us needing to like them. Like it, it, like this more than any episode has made like, you know, we, we kind of saw Regina in the past. She's like, she's been hateable, but then she had these moments. And so, and then finally she had some uh, redemption, but from there's lots of situations that Zelina and Hades are put in and the decisions they make or the actions they show towards each other. I, I, I have a feeling we, we, we may see a redemption for both of them by the end of this season, or at least at the by the end of uh, the next, the front part of next season. I I would say we're seeing one for Zelina. Absolutely, I think we're sending Zelina on a very similar path to what happened with Regina, where she's seen as the big bad for so long, including bringing her back at the end of last season and having her kind of recur in the background at the beginning of this season. Um, and I think they set her on the path here with, you know, giving up her baby and really trying yeah. to have a heart to heart with Regina and Robin Hood. Hades, I'm not so sure. Well, I, Cause I could, cause I could definitely see they, they want to keep Rebecca Mater in the cast. She's a regular now. And I think the only way to do that without having her become too cartoony and too snidely whiplash, always up with a scheme is to say, okay, you're going to be friends with them now. It's just, I, I don't know if I personally agree with the, um, Let's let's keep them around by making them good. Uh, it's I think it seems like that's kind of how we get everybody to stick around. Um, and I think from a Hades perspective, if he is being sincere from the moments we see in, with him in Oz to kind of how he how he leaves Zelina toward the end of the episode, which we'll get to um, in the underworld. Uh, if he's being sincere across all of that, it's, it's really setting him up to look like a better person than he has through all the episodes so far this part of the season. Well, I mean, I think anything is better compared to yeah. him torturing Hook for the first two episodes. He started off on a low point, so we could only go up from there. Well, we we just assume it was Hades that was doing that. Maybe it was Hades' henchman. Yeah, that who makes knows? It, there might, yeah, it makes it better. <laughs> there might be even, maybe, maybe Zeus is the bad guy all along, and he was controlling Hades. I would not put it past this show to do that. But Zelina is able to acquire the brain she finds and Pinky as well, I guess. Uh, she finds where Scarecrow and Dorothy are staying. She freezes her uh, and pretty graphically, again, I know it's CGI, but she just sticks her hand right in the Scarecrow's head and pulls that brain out. Yeah, so it's like, it's almost like a 
if they had another sister that she'd be able to like reach in and pull someone's courage out because, you know, Regina can pull it out the heart and that she has that special power. Zelina is be able to, maybe she can't pull out the heart, but she, well, we saw that she can, uh, but and, uh, previously, but, um, but you know, we didn't, we haven't seen that power used to pull someone's brain out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I don't know why for some reason. Maybe it's because I've seen we've seen so many hearts get pulled out on this show that we're sort of desensitized to it at this point, but uh, I think this is the first time we've seen someone's brain get pulled out. And that was a little jarring, specifically because the scarecrow's brain had like little pieces of straw sticking out of it, which I guess is for more aesthetic than functioning effects because I don't even know how that might affect brain function. Yeah, it's I we we've seen Regina's vault of hearts in little boxes. I'm now imagining Zelina has this vault of brains somewhere. Um maybe she's got like a zombie horde that she's trying to like keep fed, but uh that yeah, that was a little bit unexpected, but at the same time I don't know what I was expecting and it could have been a lot lot worse. Like she could have yeah. like she could have taken a, it could, could involve some like, you know, sharp objects and and at least she went for the scarecrow's brain and not Dorothy's. Yeah, and maybe uh, maybe she has a partnership with Doctor Whale down the line in this flashback sequence, where he says, "Hey, you know, I'm looking for brains to put in people. Oh, I got, I have some brains. I have a reserve right here in my palace. Uh, you got your peanut butter in my chocolate, basically. So yeah, so on our way out, uh, Zelina also kind of taunts Dorothy by saying, you know, I want to keep you alive to basically show everyone that." you know, you're not, you're not the big savior. You're not the hero of Oz and for them to basically not all worship you, which again, very similar to what Snow White was feeling sometimes or what Regina was feeling sometimes about Snow White in terms of, you know, trying to uh, tarnish her name like, like they did in the second episode of this half season in order to make the people not believe in her. Would you be interested in having Dorothy as a recurring character? See, I kind of like, again, what, how they sort of like Snow White and the Huntsman mm-hmm. Dorothy. Uh, at least I want to find out more about her. I know the creator said at some point, like, oh, this season we'll find out where Dorothy came from. So maybe there's some more Dorothy stuff that we'll have to explore. I think personality-wise, there's not so much that's differing her from Snow White yeah. Enchanted Forest for me. So unless she has some discerning factors, I don't know if I would like to see her recurring. That was the same thing I thought, is that she, it's a, it's an, it's a refreshing character in terms of the personalities we have in present day but it's because mary margaret isn't as snow white as she used to be yeah. um it, i think i agree exactly it's that dorothy gale is acts, acts a lot like snow white did back in the enchanted forest i mean even there was that little moment where zelina pauses and says you know something's happened to you uh you normally you have a lot more kick than uh, you should and but I, you know, I really don't care what happened to you and why you're kind of acting so, you know, spunky. So I'm going to move on. So and, you know, I think there, there is a lot more background, I think, to potentially learn from Dorothy. And I wouldn't mind that personally. But we fade out of that background for now and into the foreground of the palace where it turns out Hades skipped out on uh, the brain stealing early to set out a dinner for them. And he has something to tell her basically uh, in like true bachelor bachelorette style. Uh, hey, I fell in love with you over the course of this one day, and uh, <laughs> you know, give me this kiss right now. Yeah, it did. I, I can. There's things I can relate to, and like that I can support on on both sides. I mean, it's like okay, let's say you know Hades hasn't felt something like this in a while. He's you know he's his he's even says to her that you know his his heart fluttered a bit just for a moment. And I, you know, I can see if that hasn't happened in, in ages, I think he says in eons, this hasn't happened. Um, then I can see him like wanting to act quickly and not let that go. 
But, you know, take it from the woman's side of things. He's like a stage five clinger <laughs> it, <laughs> after like just like you said, just like, a, you know, a day and a half. Um, and she really doesn't know how to react to that. Like, even if she hadn't hit, like, I get the feeling that, you know, Zelina's not had a lot of, uh, a long line of lovers at the door, or people who have like been yearning for her and, and trying to win her heart. That aside, even if she did have a series of, uh, you know, on again, off again relationships, this would still be kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because again, it's been less than a day that he's met her, courted her by riding a bike and has now declared his love for her in order to basically get some action out of her. And I do agree that I think she comes at it from the angle of, oh, these are for ulterior motives. You want me to bring you to the surface so you can wreak your own havoc and make your own revenge and leave me out of it. She's very suspicious of him. When realistically, like you said, she could very well say, listen, dude, you are moving way too fast here. Why don't you go back to the other world? Next time I'll come over to your place. Let's hang a couple times and then we'll see where it goes from there. Right. And if she hadn't been working on this time travel spell, uh, you know, she could have played the, you know, let's bump the brakes, bro. Um, uh, you know, she could have played that card and said, okay, yeah, you know what? Let's explore this together. I don't think we, I think maybe saying that you're in love with me is too soon. Let's go on a few more dates. But I think just because of, you know, who they both are and what she's been working on, she immediately goes to suspicion rather than, uh, working to, you know, slow things down. Yeah, because again, that's coming from a perspective of somebody that wants to help her. In her entire life, I think she's been facing people that are in vehement opposition of her. And so when somebody wants to help her, she automatically assumes that there are there are ulterior motives. And I definitely think that her choice is grounded in character. I just think, you know, she could have started off with, listen, dude, you're <laughs> creeping on me way too much. Yeah. And so I actually like watched this twice and then knowing we were going to record, uh, you know, shortly after it aired, I didn't go back and try to watch a third time. So I just wanted was... I wasn't like hundred percent clear on what happened while we were watching. Is it that um, Hades is interested in her time travel spell and he can't perform it himself in the, in the condition he's currently in. Um, but if he were to get his heart back, his humanity back, whatever you want, if he were to be free from the underworld um, after true love's kiss, um, he would then have regained that power to cast the spell himself and would not actually need Zelina. Is that what we're supposed to be reading here? I just want to make sure I understood it. Because I want no, that's a good that's a good question. And I'm I'm not entirely sure either, because again, we're recording this right after the episode aired, so we, we do not benefit from the fact that there might be recappers out there who understood it more than us. I took it to mean that like he was initially offering a, a quid pro quo of, you know, if you fall in love with me and kiss me and I go back to the surface. In turn, I'll help you make the spell. I mean, you'd have to assume that he's pretty much all-knowing at this point. You would think that he knows how to make the spell as well. And maybe it's just because he's in the underworld and he can't... And maybe the spell can only be made on the surface. So he has no power right now. But maybe then Regina had this epiphany at the moment of like, oh, hey, if you're on the surface, you can go do whatever the hell you want. Uh, pun unintended there. So you can, you know, you don't, you wouldn't need my help. You would, there's a chance you could just kiss me and say, thank you and kick me out the door. And I think that's sort of the realization that she's coming to. Because yeah, it seemed like what I had in my notes was that she was afraid that if, 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 he, if she kissed him, then the, he would have the power. I thought he was, she even said to steal the brain him, himself and to do the spell himself. Because, I mean, she said, you know, kind of logically, because that's the sort of thing that I would do. If I was in the same position you were and limited the same way that you were, I would try to do this as I would try to 
you know, do that as well. So it, it almost sounded like if they kissed and it was true love's kiss, he would gain the power to, in some way, cast the spell himself. And she was afraid that in doing so, he would kind of block her out of it. So I'm not exactly sure of the logic behind the magic, but it seems the fear behind the logic is that if they kiss, he'll do the spell himself without her and she'll be out of luck. Yeah, and it seems like Zelina might be messing with like a fatal attraction situation here as as soon as she rejects Hades, Hades just mutters like, you'll regret this and then disappears, which is not a good sign. Um, <laughs> and it all makes sense as to when we'll jump to the present day storyline now that once she finds out that like Hades wants her baby, she's like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, we did not end things well last time we talked. Yeah, Um definitely don't want to end things in a, on a poor note when you're dealing with the uh, Lord of the underworld. Yeah. This is the version of Regina basically ghosting, uh, <laughs> Hook or, uh, Hades through text here. Yeah, fade away. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> Uh, Hades, as we saw last episode, has acquired uh, his pages of the book that Liam threw down the well. Uh, and now he's sort of ruminating on them. And now he finds out, we found out two episodes ago, hey, look, this is one of our gold uh, our gold episodes. And it seems like from le- next episode, he will not be off, which is good. Robert Carlyle is back from vacation, apparently. Uh, but we find out what the purpose is that Hades needs gold for, which is to use his blood to create a portal. Because let's remember, and I think I erroneously talked about this last time we spoke, um, in order to call or to make a portal or to be able to go into the surface world, you need the blood of someone who has basically been literally to hell and back. Someone who has died and come back from the dead, which Mr. Gold has. Yeah. And it's... uh especially when you don't have like silver slippers or a mermaid or a magic hat, which he does point out. He points out, we don't have a magic bean. We don't have a mermaid. We don't. Yeah. So at least he lampshades a little bit, the various, uh, our ever growing list of portals. Yeah. Just, just to remind us and, and, and and nice callback to the uh, silver slippers and Dorothy. So, yeah, absolutely. So I was a little confused about this as well. So gold is spinning straw in the corner, but all we need is his blood. Are we just assuming that he's just keeping gold there just to keep an eye on him, having him randomly spin gold in the corner? I mean, again, connecting back to Zelina, that's what Zelina had him do. But back when she was doing that, he was like, it was some weird loophole where he was like putting his brain or his intel- intelligence into spinning the straw into gold. So that functioned as the brain for her time travel spell. Here, it just seems like it's something to do while he's there in the underworld. I, I just got the, my assumption was that it was part of the, uh, the, the ritual for casting a portal spell. Okay. Well, but I mean, he didn't have to do that when he used his blood to call upon Charon, the boat guy at the end of the last half season, though. He just had to slice, he just had to do what he did here, which was slice his hand open and drip it on the floor and make, or drip it on the water that time and make a portal appear. So I'm not entirely yeah. sure. Maybe there's different rules. Yeah. Depending on where you're starting, you need to take a different route. Yeah. But the gold points out here like, hey, listen, you are, you know, you're the Lord of the Underworld. You come and go as you please. Why don't you know, you can just go up there yourself. But he says, no, I want to make a portal because I want to bring somebody down here. And this is where we jump to Storybrooke for all of, you know, two minutes. Uh, but it's probably <laughs> the last we'll see of Storybrooke for at least a few episodes. As we as we remember uh, before you know, these great parents uh, went to go save their friend, their family friend. They left these infant children with these nuns. 
but Belle is visiting them. She's taking care very nicely of them, considering that she's the only main character that's left in Storybrooke at this time. And the Mother Superior comes in, and she's uh, she's acting very differently. And I don't know whether that was sleeplessness uh, because of caring for two infant children all of a sudden. It turns out not, not to be, as one of them is Zelina. And they ask, Zelina, how did you get here? And there is just no answer to it whatsoever. And we go, we don't get an answer to it through flashback either this episode. Yeah, no. And, and maybe that's something that we'll, we'll get to. Although I could, I could easily see this being something that we don't ever get an answer to along with Prince Philip's soul. Um, I'm just going to put that out there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a strange moment. And, and, and the bouncing back and forth between the underworld and Storybrooke and you know, the convent and the, the throne room threw me for a loop a little bit when I was taking notes. I was like, wait, wait, okay, I can't keep up. Yeah, a little bit of whiplash there. Luckily, the underworld was only in one. There, there were they were two stationary sets, and it's not like they were going everywhere all at once. At least they kept it between those two stories. But yeah, that's the first time really, I think, in these past few episodes that we've seen a lot of jump cutting back and forth. Uh, so Zelina's there to take care of her kid. We don't know why. Um, I feel like another another one we can add to the list is how did Zelina? I still don't think we know how Zelina got to the Enchanted Forest in the first place. Uh, you know, after the cur- first curse is enacted, she basically goes in and says, "Oh, Regina's palace is empty. This is mine now." And we don't exactly know how she does that. So maybe she just has like you know world jumping abilities that we don't know about and that the heroes don't know about because they thought they were done with her when they banished her back to Oz. Yeah, I feel like it's not her ability. I feel like it's probably something else, but we shall see. We shall see. But for now, uh, Hades explains to Gold that, listen, I want baby Hood here, um, and you're going to do it, or again, I will take this unborn child that is in Belle's stomach once the baby is born. Uh, So this portal forms, and Belle ends up getting sucked in with the baby, and Zelina jumps in after her and they land in the uh i guess i think it's next to that riverside mansion that they were at last episode at least if my you know location detectors are correct the sorcerer's mansion i think it's the sorcerer's mansion i believe so that's what i thought as well so zelina i guess uh had a bad fall uh you know much like john locke down the well uh in that she i don't think she broke her leg but she definitely hurt something since she's hobbling for the rest of the episode very uh mr gold pre-dark one Ask there and you know they notice as you said before they notice the sky is red there they put two and two together and selena says oh okay i know where we are now which is interesting because when i saw her on the previews the previous week i thought they meant that like oh when she was in oz she had died somehow and that now she's down here but no it just seems like she happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and now here she is yeah and and i don't know if um you know, when she would, you know, going back to the flashback, she obviously knew of Hades. She had never met Hades, but she knew of him. Yeah. And, and she, she sees the red sky. And I don't know if we're also kind of meant to know that she's able to put two and two together and say, okay, this must be the underworld. Or is there something again that we haven't seen yet where Regina has had prior excursions to the underworld? Um, Given the future discussion uh, where it's where Hades talks about why the underworld looks like Storybrooke, my guess is that she hasn't been here. So maybe maybe Hades told her, hey, guess what? I live in a world where the sky is red. Um, <laughs> uh, seems like a not topic discussion, but at, at the very least, for some reason, she is able to put two and two together and figure out red sky equals underworld. 
Yeah, maybe there's some sort of like Christmas where he comes to her and he says, look, and you have the green in my land. There's red. We can make a Christmas celebration happen, baby. Come on. And he's holding up the big uh, the big cars with writing on them like Andrew Lincoln in Love Actually. But it's it's all for naught. It's a deleted scene. It is a deleted scene. We I, we we but there's there's a lot of it's withdrew me a little bit was there was like that made me think that maybe this isn't the underworld. Um was there's a lot of snow on the ground. <laughs> and I don't remember that being like that wintry in other parts of uh, Storybrook. Or sorry, yeah, and we also, Underbrook. And we also see, uh, you know, Hades is wearing like a pretty big peacoat this episode as well. So it's very clear that like, I think it's just, you know, they were filming during the winter this time, the fall and the winter. So I think they were just, they're just saying, all right, we're just gonna have to, we'd rather let our, you know, mess with continuity here than let our actors freeze to death. But it is, it was a little weird to see. I thought that it was at first like, some sort of ash, like they had like landed on some part of the uh, house or something. But no, yeah, I think it was snow. Yeah, I think yeah. not Snow White. It did, it, well, they didn't land on Snow White. <laughs> well, speaking of Snow White, let's talk about her and David's sort of C plot here, uh, which is basically, hey, we miss our baby. We should talk to our baby. Uh, but we get we the the blind witch has come be, come back from her like two episode, uh, you know, work smoke break here. Uh, and she, they're basically depressed that now they're sort of regulars in the diner and that the blind witch knows their order and they realize, okay, look, we need a little bit of a change. Uh, we need to talk to our son. And so the witch says, oh, <laughs> you know, you haven't, you didn't see that before. This is a simple level one haunting. Uh, and all, which I'm assuming is, you know, the type of haunting where there's a lot of characters involved in a lot of strategy. I feel like that's a good level one haunting. Uh, but to access the level one haunting, it's just accessible via phone booth near the bus station. I hope I'm not, and, and this is where I'm going to put a call out to the listeners just to let me know that I was not alone. I thought that for some reason, Snow and uh, David were talking about the other Neil, Balefire Neil. And I was like, no, they, they don't care about him. Well, they care much more about their son. <laughs> because, well, you know, that makes sense now. But like you're saying, you're thinking about Neil. I know you are. So am I. And I was like, why are they thinking about Balefire? <laughs> like, why are they thinking about him? And then why would, if he's dead, how could they haunt him? Cause he's already dead too. There's, a, there's like this haunting thing. And so it, it was like my very last note on the section was, Oh, that Neil. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it is, it is a little confusing that we now have. I mean, I think it was very admirable. A la, you know, Albus Severus Potter, uh, that we, that they named the baby after Neil in honor of his death. But I think it definitely causes some confusion now whenever the name is mentioned, Spe- specifically mm-hmm. because we did see adult Neil, uh, in the first episode of this little half arc. Exactly. So, so, you know, again, this, that just threw me for a little bit. <laughs> what did you think about the fact that apparently a living person's breath sells for high on the uh, on the Underbrook black market? I don't know if it's the last we've seen. I think that's Chekhov's breath. I I, I and maybe it's just my um, my paranoia about you know magic in in this world. I mean, we even see a reference to it at uh, you know, down the road uh, where. Uh, where you know Clint says that you know they, they haven't given their daughter a name yet and and Hades can you know derive a lot of power just from the name of somebody and that's like a common trope in 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 fantasies and 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 stories of magic is that you know knowing the name of somebody can often give you power over them or give them control over them um and so the fact that that he just freely gave his breath like that for use at black market. I mean, if someone's buying that a black market, it's probably for use in a spell. And if you have the breath of somebody and you're using it in a spell, that's probably not good for you, you yourself. So I, I was surprised that that didn't maybe turn more heads uh, and potentially, 
you know, cause a little bit of a, of a, a pause when that request came through. I don't know. I mean, whenever I hear black market, it's synonymous to me with something that's illegal. So my first thought was like, okay, is the breath of a living person like some sort of drug down here? Like, are mm. we, we going to see a bunch of like people huddled over in an alley waiting for one of these people to just breathe on their faces for a significant amount of money in order to get that high? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I, I think you're seeing much more wholesome purposes of it uh, than I am. So who knows? It might be Chekhov's breath down the line, which sounds so strange it sounds like we're like talking ill about Chekhov as if we were at like one of his dinner parties it's like a, it's, it's like this really strange i'm not even gonna go there <laughs> it's it's just i'm just imagining in my head like this illicit market on you know these these stalls or vendors or you know you know like you know opium dens except you're going there to get breathed on by people <laughs> Yeah, oxygen dens. Yeah, there you go. I've seen those in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we get these uh, interesting cuts that I feel like since we brought back the storybook, they did it a lot in season one, but now we're starting to bring them back in season 5B where the scene will immediately fade out and it turns out that they've been reading that story the entire time. And now we get sort of the other stuff that's going on here where, again, the mission of our heroes is to get Henry, the author, to rewrite the Hades pages so that they know how to defeat him. But Henry, unfortunately, has no idea how to do this or even when he wrote any of these pages. And he is very pissy about it as a result. Yeah, he apparently writes in his sleep uh, as a sleep talker. I can relate to this. Um, (laughs) You know where I'm going. Hopefully hopefully it's not as horrifying. I've heard your sleep talking. Hopefully it's not as horrifying sounding as your sleep talking is. To be clear, it's because I have a sleep recorder that you have you know what my sleep talking sounds like. Let's yes, just put very that. very very true. Listen, I have I have declared my love for Kurt many times. I took him on several bike rides, but he has spurned me every time. And I apologize that I'm spilling yeah. this drama in front of you listeners, but you must know. No, yeah, I had played a couple of recordings for, for for Mike and Antonio and Josh on another podcast. And uh so yeah, if uh he he's much more prolific than I am. I mean, those are some like seem like densely and, and good handwriting too. Um but I think it's kind of interesting that he uh that he could basically do his job in his sleep and wake up and not ha- like that's actually kind of the ultimate job, right? Yeah, I mean again, I'm going to I'm going to say this lens creo to my theory I made last week that it's very comparable to Isaac Mendez again of like he I think he just goes into some sort of trance and it's I don't know if some sort of maybe the power of the pen overtakes him and he just writes it out and he doesn't even remember doing it. That's that's what that's what it seems like. That's what it seems like. At least until maybe he is able to down the road he'll be able yeah. to control it a little bit more. Yeah, until the plot's convenient enough. I mean, he did, you know, when he first became the author during that alternate universe at the end of season four, he did physically write like, and then, you know, the true love's kiss saved the day. And, you know, everything Patrick did was undone. Uh, or Isaac, uh, Patrick Fisher, the actor. So meanwhile, as Henry storms upstairs, Selena comes in and basically says, you know, look, here's why I'm here. The baby's down here as well. And Robin and Regina and Zelina are set off immediately to find him. Meanwhile, Belle hides out into the library. And here we find Belle and Mr. Gold come back together. And would you believe it, Kurt? Belle and Mr. Gold come together. Mr. Gold reveals a secret that he's been holding. And Belle is mad at him. Tell me if you've heard that one before. Well, well, here's the thing is that there was an awful lot of uh, there was an awful lot of explaining to do. Definitely explaining to do, but I think in terms of he came clean with everything. Like for all for all of the the secret keeping that goes on in the show, like he explains, um, 
know, not only the whole issue with the contract and the second born child and the you're pregnant, but then he also drops on her. Oh yeah, I'm still the dark one. Uh, so like there, he, he, he made up for like everybody's secret keeping for like this entire season, including the front half. That's true. And again, I think we thought, okay, he's got to keep the secret for at least a few episodes. But no, immediately as he sees Belle, he admits things to her, which, you know, he doesn't say he's a better man or he says he's a better man, not a changed man. So at least he's improving on his secret keeping aspects or even maybe uh, deteriorating on them, considering he kept them for all of 0.2 seconds. The Dark One thing is interesting because he doesn't outright say it initially. He does fess up to the contract, but then he says like, you know, well, um, but I have the power to, you know, Hades is using me for my power. And then Bell suddenly realizes, like, wait a minute, power. You didn't used to have power except for when you fought off that bear for me. Okay, you're the dark one. Yeah, that's true. He, he, he but he, yeah, he, he admits it kind of out of necessity. And, you know, you can argue whether it was it a, a slip of the tongue or was it somewhat intentional or was it subconscious? Um, but it, it's, it's funny because it's one of those things where, from a narrative perspective, from a to- storytelling perspective, it's a bit surprising that he came clean on everything. But from like, if this was real life and you were kind of in a situation where, you know, Hades is holding these things over you and threatening to tell your wife, it's, it's like, it's almost like this would be probably the best, most mature thing to do and, and, yeah. and the right time to do it. And like, and to be fair, like he's explaining to her the whole, uh, you know, second child thing at the first opportunity that he even has a chance to at a point where it actually is relevant. I think that, you know, he probably thought there was no chance of this even being relevant to like, why even bring it up? You know, this, this guy's dead, this, uh, uh, Jim Rice, uh, is, is, is now in the underworld in terms of the, the, the healer. Um, so it, it's, he, he, again, this was, this was a mature adult decision that he did. It surprised me from a story perspective, but it's, it's out there. You can't, you can't, you can't literally put the genie back in the bottle with this one. Jim Rice has probably saw a lot of those living person's breath down in the underworld. I feel like he's (laughs) opened an entire emporium from them. What did you think about this entire latter half of the conversation, which is basically gold saying, look, I'm not the person you think I am. You know, he's basically sort of laying everything out of the table there and saying, I never really changed into another person. You, as you alluded to during your introduction to this podcast, you said, you know, you thought you had seen the man behind the beast, but the fact is you, the man and beast have both been in one the entire time. It actually, at the end of this scene, I'll admit, I sort of realized like, oh, maybe Bell and Gold actually don't work as a couple that much, considering that if he, he admits that he can't really change that much for her. It's a big admission for him. And I, I wonder to like what extent, because there has been a lot over the past few seasons of Gold trying to, you know, you know, hide this dark one side, this beast side away so that, you know, he could have this love for Bell. And I think it's like one of those, one of those things where, again, I think it's a, it's a mature decision that goes in the face of storytelling where she's like, I can't condone you being like this. I can't, you know, love you as, as if you take this path. And like gold says, I think one of the things that I've thought at several points during this, not just this season, but maybe at various points throughout the series is that actually, no, there's, there's no rule that says that you can, you just have to choose to. And, and, and I thought that was like a really interesting thing. Cause I think that's a lot of things where it's uh, where, you know, people sometimes will make arbitrary decisions on the show because, you know, and, and don't really necessarily get called out on it. And this is, I think was one of those points where you'll, you know, where she's like, but if you stay like this, you know, then I can't really love you. And gold's like, you know, 
BS. You can, you just have to choose to. And so I, I kind of liked him have to have taking honesty to that degree. Although she's like, you know what? I'm not making any choices right now, uh, which again was fair. You, you just have to, I think the thing they're in agreement is they both want this to be fixed. Let's focus on fixing this and then let's move on. Yeah. I uh, can't wait for Coldplay to appear down there with them so we can sing it. Some sort of theme song about fixing people. I'm sure it'd be really appropriate. Yeah. To me, I don't know. Part of me kind of wants to have them like their relationship would not work. And not out of any sort of, you know, schadenfreude or spite. It's just because we've seen all of these faded couples work. You know, now we have Snow and Charming together. We have Hook and Emma together. We have Regina and Robin Hood together. It would be kind of interesting to have a couple that like you would think are perfect for each other, but it turns out that they just don't work out. I think that's sort of a permutation. We really, we've seen it briefly on the show before, but those characters don't really stick around. And so if they did that, it'd be an interesting combination that we haven't really seen before on the show. I think, I think it would be interesting. I think there would be, and I don't necessarily count myself in this group, um, but I see validity in this. I think there would be a lot of fans out there who would feel cheated for all the time that was spent on the possibility of this relationship for it to not pan out. I think there would be a lot of angry people out there. And, oh, I can totally imagine. Yeah, yeah. Rum, yeah. Rumbell has a big fan base. Less so than, you know, Captain Swan, but Rumbell is definitely up there. Right. And I completely see that. Um, it's not something that I necessarily would feel like you, like you, I think it would be an interesting change. Um, it's just that, but the, the thing is like, if that's the route it goes, then you see gold kind of slip back into almost like full dark one mode. And that gets, that feels a little bit old. Uh, you're almost like trading, trading one new experience for gold retreading the villain that he was in the first couple seasons of the show. And so mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think that's the only logical outcome. If, if this coupling doesn't work, then we see, you know, gold 1.0 again, which I'm, less excited about yeah because again as you said we've trod that territory before yeah. let's jump let's jump to talk about another couple here uh snow and charming are waiting in line uh at the bus station for this soul phone i guess it is uh kurt we had a question from rachel she said would would you personally haunt your children if you were in this situation uh whether it's you know to tell them to try to reach out to them to see if they would respond or to, to tell them something would you take the option of haunting your children even though as it seems from this random guy in line they really have no idea whether they're actually talking to someone at the other end. Let's be fair. Rachel asked, would you haunt your children? Which is really what this whole thing that, that uh, Snow and David are doing boils down to. It's like they're haunting their children. They're haunting, they're haunting their, their kids. And not only their, their children, their they're, infant child. Their baby. Um, so like, it, it becomes a much more of a philosophical discussion, you know, when you kind of added all of those caveats around it. But when you boil it down the way Rachel did, would you haunt your children? You're like, uh, that's a good point. I mean, it's not called the, um, the memories booth. It's like a, it's a haunting booth. It's, it's a level one haunting, not a level one, uh, remembering or visiting. Um, so, you know, it doesn't say it's like, yeah, you can, uh, they'll hear your voice, but it's like delivered by like a figure that's dripping blood from its eye holes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wonder, I wonder if it's like that, if it's like Hamlet's father, or if it's more like the weirwood tree from game, from game of Thrones, where it's like, you just sort of, hear the voice and we'll never know because we'll find out just later oh yeah and prince neil heard the voice and then fell asleep you know there's no talk about like what he saw or what he heard in particular if it was if it was a disembodied voice all we know is that it reached him somehow i would wait until 
it was like definite. There was no return. That's, I think the situation <laughs> that if I was in with them, like, it's like, you know what? And, and it's kind of actually the point that Emma raises with them when, when, you know, they discuss it later it, it is like, well, you're going to see him soon. You'll say it. I would kind of take that stance as well. It's like, you know what? He, he probably won't remember it at this age. It's more important for you than it is for him. And from that perspective, you don't even know he's hearing anything. Um, so my counsel would be, you know what? It, it, we don't know how this, we don't know how this works. We don't know if it works. I would say let's hold off on it because we don't want to freak the kid out. Um, yeah. If I was actually dead and not coming back and I had this opportunity, um, it, it, it's, it's interesting. Like I, 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 I tend, I think I tend not to do it only because like if I had like a limited a time number of times I could do it, I'd want to wait until a time when my children were old enough to probably remember it and old enough to not be scared by it. So I personally wouldn't choose to do it at this point if I had a limited number of times. Yeah, or limited number of quarters. I love these philosophical questions. This is this is a good one, Rachel. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I all. I mean, I I have a you know a not so eloquent response. I would just call and try to prank my kids by just saying "not Penny's boat" and then hanging up and see how they respond to it. <laughs> can, and can they call collect? So that's the other thing. And how would that work? Yeah, do they do they have to accept the long distance charges? <laughs> exactly. So we jump back to the forest here where we have a conversation. Uh, Zelina points out to Robin, "Hey, have you named the baby yet?" And he says. Uh, no, I, cause I want to find out what sort of, he's one of those types that says, I want to figure out what the kid is like before I give the kid a name. But Zelina also points out like, Hey, for all the show budding you're doing about being good, you guys are the ones who dropped everything and went into the underworld just for a family friend and left your recently born daughter behind. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, kind of true. Um, and, 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 you know, Regina tries to kind of, you know, take a few steps back and say, you know, I used to be just like you. And then my enemies became my, my family. And that's what we're doing. We're helping family. I find, you know, I finally became happy. And Zelina kind of rightfully points out, yeah, my daughter's my family. <laughs> so like, you took literally the only family member I had. <laughs> yeah. Um, you already got family. Now you want more and I don't have any. Um, so I and I think it's things like this where, like uh, this was like another point in this episode where I think we're starting to see a little bit more. I just use the word like human, uh, yeah, humanizing of, yeah. of Zelina. Yeah. I mean, she's like Walter Wright. I feel like she's, she's doing um, bad intention deeds for her family and her family is her daughter at this point. The reason why she went through that whole crazy scheme of killing Marion masquerading as her bumping uglies with Robin Hood in order to, in order to have a child was so that she could have something to call her own. Cause she basically, especially since Regina took everything from her, from her evil plan initially, she was left with basically nothing. And so she's really driven by that. And I feel like Rebecca made her, you know, as, as much as I may have disparaged her coming back at the end of season four and them kind of shoehorning her in at the beginning of season five, I think she does a great job here in, I'd say for the first time, really showing Zelina as someone with a heart. And I know I say that multiple times and throughout this episode, but I mean, she's very tearful throughout this show that I don't think she's ever, she's been tearful more times in this episode than she had the entirety of her previous appearances. Because even when we saw flashbacks of her, when we saw her origin story, it was out of anger and jealousy. You know, never did she really get too sappy or sad. And I think, you know, maybe having a child did this to her, but she's really emotionally connected to this child, which leads her to do things she normally wouldn't do, like ultimately give it up at the end. Yeah. Um, 
we, 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 I think where this ends up going, I mean, they, they do eventually, you know, track down, uh, you know, through, through Robin Hood's great tracking abilities, they're able to kind of eventually track <laughs> down, uh, bell. And, uh, it's, I think it's at this point where, you know, we, we see a little bit of wavering in like, is Lena actually, you know, I'm not good, but better than she was. Um, and she basically ends up running off with the kid again. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. Um, because so when Zelina appears in Storybook, it appears that her magical ability was taken away. She is very hurt. She tries to fix it, but she admits like my magic doesn't work down here. And we even found out that Regina wasn't able to have her magic work either until she, I guess, renewed her confidence through visiting Daniel's grave and making peace with that and, you know, healing that horse. We, that's still sort of um, TBD at the moment. But Rachel points out here, you know, why did Zelina get her magic back so much quicker than Regina? Granted, it wasn't full because I think we just saw like a little green spark and she produced a force field. She never actually fixed her injury. But do you think finding her daughter gave her that sort of high if you will that you don't get off of a living person's breath um that she was able to conjure up some of those magical abilities again yeah i, I thought even though she didn't have any wasn't able to uh, heal herself like when she you know sprained her ankle upon landing outside the sorcerer's mansion with bell i the way that i had kind of interpreted it was that it was like maybe like the last little bit of residual energy that she was able to power uh because she had gotten her daughter back so it was like a small little Getting and that maybe look at it as like unfinished business of the living. Like you, you know, Snow got her powers back after she closed matters with Daniel and kind of settled things there. This was a little bit of um, kind of you know, uh, putting a bow on things uh, in terms of something that Zelina was looking for, looking to do. It's almost her unfinished business, even though she isn't dead and she's in the underworld. Um, so, but again, it was it was just like literally just like a little spark. She's able to maybe kind of put up a small little blast to kind of stun them. But that was like she you basically you know that would that was that was you know all that was in her reserve tank she couldn't really do anything else um, yeah i guess so and it also again ties back into the question of when emma was down there she almost immediately could use her magic considering she was the one that poofed regina and megaway back in the second episode so i think there are is some some stuff to still be figured out in terms of like if you have magic and you're down there what are the qualifications that you need psychologically in order to use your magic yeah uh, it, it, well, it, we know it isn't completely psychologically balanced because you know, that that was not a qualification i think is alina met but it just seemed like it was like a small little a small little last bit of reserve and i was like and she just completely i think to me backtread at least several steps not completely but she kind of took several steps back in terms of uh the path to good when you know she kind she convinced you know she's just convinced regina and and robin hood and bell that like what am i gonna do just let me feed my daughter and like just that's all i want and and you're starting to feel really feel for her and then she like you know little burst of magic and then runs away doesn't poof away but runs away with a sprained ankle and i think it's very comparable to what we were just talking about with mr gold where I mean, I think I don't think she's as power hungry as he is. I think she's she's more revenge driven. But magic is something that she's known she's been able to do since a young age, you know, and I think it's again, when nobody else has helped her in this world, that's her only crush that she's had in her life. And so it's almost like an addiction where, you know, even when she feels
feel safe, there is a little bit of paranoia in the back of your head where you're going to turn back to your vices. And I feel like that was a little moment. But then we'll see in a couple minutes when she hobbles into the woods and sees a cut on uh, Baby Hood's cheek and she tries to heal it. She just suddenly realizes like, wait, what did I just do? Slash my magic was the the stuff that got me here in the first place. Yeah, it's... um to be like well as much as i'm down on her for like oh you went back in your word you're going you know this you know five points in the direction of evil she quickly kind of recants that and i don't know how much of it is like really kind of the fact that she's limping through the woods um but and and but actually i think i think it's 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 also you know when we talk about like the the little you know blemish or scratch that she sees on her her daughter's face um and, and it seemed like at this point that, and I wasn't quite sure what was going on, but it seemed like she felt that she had caused this, uh, this on, on her daughter, um, during maybe that running away or during that. And she tries to heal and she's unable to. And that's, I think when she really starts to lose it and you're wondering, you know, was it, uh, how, how much of it, you know, that seems to potentially be the, the impetus for, for her to turn around and, or at least to be willing to give things up uh, to the uh, Regina and Robin Hood. Yeah. And I think it, it's an interesting sort of epiphany for her as well, because I think she might realize, you know, my job right now is to protect my daughter. The one thing that I care about in this world. And if I have to do it through this magic, through this stuff that, you know, causes pain to other people, maybe it's not worth it. And again, that's a real bright spark of humanity that sort of rises up in this in this dark room that Zelina kind of resides in but I think it's very important because we really outside of this episode and maybe there's something that I forgot about but we really have not seen this sort of tenderness or emotional aspect from her whatsoever even after she had her kid she was pretty much driven after she had the baby of like okay let me take the baby oh by the way Emma or by the way Hook Emma turned you into the dark one ha 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 uh, oh no, I'm getting sent back to Oz and now I'm back all of a sudden. You know, I'm happy that they were able to slow things down a little bit in this episode to really show us kind of the inner workings of the turmoil that Zelina's been going through. I mean, there were a couple moments when she was locked up in the basement of the hospital where you start to get like little moments of potential, you know, sympathy for her. But then she like, you know, kind of, you know, quickly undoes those as well. Um, so yeah, this this is, I think, you know, over the course of the episode, the the, the most I think that we get on a kind of consistently... Uh, I, I, steady upward trend a couple dips but mostly upward trend yeah absolutely and we, we see it here where she sort of has her low point here her breakdown when they track her to i believe that's the like farm where she held gold captive yeah. where she lived when she first resided in storybrook in season three when she was on the dl and nobody remembered that she was selena the wicked witch yeah there was um, the like storm cellar out in the uh out in the yard that she was keeping uh gold locked up in yeah, so she she very easily comes out. No sort of no sort of you know standoff situation involved. Um, didn't have to call in Sheriff Emma or David or anything. So she comes out and she says, "Look, I think I know what's going on. Since this baby is innocent, I think Hades wants. Since you know, last time I saw Hades, I was of the opinion that he wanted to do a time travel spell for himself. She wants to use the baby as part of a time traveling spell. So." this sucks, but I'm going to have to give the baby away. And it's not a one-to-one situation, but it reminded me a little bit of in the Lost season one finale when Danielle Rousseau uh, kidnaps baby Aaron and they (laughs) chase after her and then she sort of tearfully gives the child up. Again, you know, the babyhood is Zelina's flesh and blood and Aaron wasn't. But I think it's a very similar situation of like almost a literally wounded animal. It's sort of like tries to 
tear out into the woods out of just plain fear and is eventually cornered and then has to give in. I got a very similar sense from that scene. And I, and I forgot to mention this earlier when we see that Hades is trying to get, uh, you know, Rumpelstiltskin to, uh, through the portal, summon Zelina's baby and bring Zelina's baby to him. And just because of kind of the, you know, there were a couple mentions of the contract that, that Hades had with Rumpelstiltskin. There are a couple points I think that I was thinking that, uh, Hades was bringing the baby there because there was some sort of contract that he had signed with Zelina. And I thought maybe Zelina, uh, you know, owed him, uh, her firstborn. And, and I thought maybe that's, he was kind of collecting on that. Um, and I thought maybe in the flashbacks to Oz, we were going to see the signing of that contract. And what exactly did Hades give to her in exchange for, you know, this, this deal? Um, but the, you know, when Zelina is expressing her fears that she wants, the baby's innocence. I'm like, Oh, that could also be it too. That could also be it too. But like no point am I, you know, we, we learn a bit later, like what you know, supposedly the reason is, but I, I'm still doubting the, uh, the, the positive side, uh, the positive possibilities for why Hades did this, uh, at this point. It seems that it seems that it's not, it's not a good thing that he was trying to summon the baby there through the portal. Yeah, exactly. Like if if it's, you know, good intentions, it's sort of, uh, you know, bad implementation where you're saying, yeah, I need this. I mean, I like I want to protect the baby, but I created this giant magical portal that portal that sent her hurtling through without letting you know anything about what was going on, despite the fact that I could also poof wherever I wanted to. Uh, But before we talk about that last scene, let's let's jump back to the loft here um, where everyone's still a little wary even hooks actually pretty you know as his own um reformed villain is speaking up he says like i think zelina is good for now but everyone is still pretty wary about her coming back uh but that's also kind of pushed aside when henry and his isaac mendez state drew baby neil apparently hearing his parents voices and falling asleep and this gives snow enough confidence to say okay all right, we need to get back home. Let's take down Hades. And by take down Hades, I mean probably take down Hades in like two episodes. We'll talk about that. <laughs> the, the projection for, for completions of various storylines. But it's like, so it, it seems like, and maybe I'm just, this is a little bit too meta and I shouldn't be putting myself in the heads of the writers, not the author, but the writers of the show. I'm not trying to get in Henry's head. Um, but I'm wondering is, okay, it seemed like the point here is we needed to get to a point where Henry at the beginning of the episode was not able to control the output of his author writing. Whereas by the end of the episode, we need to get to a point where uh, he may or may not be able to control it, but it's, it's doing stuff that is maybe more uh, relevant. And he, and by that, so we're able to kind of show that, okay. uh, Is that the only reason we had the whole haunting booth storyline? Was, was, was to, was to show that, that Henry's writing is now becoming meaningful. Or was the whole purpose of the, 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 the haunting booth storyline, was that just to get, to light a fire under Snow White and make her more focused than she had been? Um, it's a good question. I, I mean, I think I might actually choose like a none of the above here. It might just be like, oh, the, right, if again, if I'm putting myself in the head of the writers, I'm like, okay, so then Belle goes to the nursery and Baby Hood falls in the portal. All right, baby Neil's there too. You know what? We should have a storyline about him, considering that like her 
you know, his parents are down there too. It might have just been like a little bit of convenience to flesh out like five minutes of plot. Again, I might be completely wrong and this becomes a major thing later on, but for me, it just seems like filler almost. It would have been interesting if the haunting of baby Neil... (laughs) Which sounds like like any one of the, like these found footage horror yeah, exactly. movies that we'll see coming next to you time. from Paramount this fall. The haunting of, of baby, baby Neil. Neil. Um, I it would have been interesting to see, uh, like what if that had happened, like if Bell and Bell witnessed it while in the nursery, and then Bell went through the portal and was able to report back firsthand that this haunting had taken place. Like that could have accomplished the same thing, which is a slightly, a slightly altered timeline of events. Um, but yeah, it was, it was strange. It, I don't know if we're meant to walk out of this though, thinking that I don't, I don't, it doesn't seem like Henry necessarily has more control over his powers. It's just that it just so happened that this was the one time that he wrote something that was actually relevant to uh, somebody in the room. Well, I think it also might be because before they found the book, I mean, I don't think Henry had written any. Henry, I think, had tried to, but wasn't able to write anything after they found the book here and down here in Underbrook. And we're to assume that, like, Henry wrote the book at some point, but we just don't know when. And he's frustrated that he doesn't know how or when or what he wrote. But I think this showed them maybe, like, oh, Henry's still capable of writing it so we can get back to our plan of somehow subconsciously taking out of Henry what he knows about Hades. Yeah, it's. It, It'll, it'll be interesting to see how Henry's story writing powers evolve over the rest of the season. Like, does he get more control over them? Do they become more helpful? Um, and, and it was, well, one thing's for sure, like Snow White slash Mary Margaret uh, seems ready for, you know, ready to, uh, she, she's loaded for bear and ready to take on Hades. And so they seem like they're definitely uh, approaching some sort of battle. So let's go to our last scene here. Uh, Very eye-opening in a myriad of ways where for the first time in this timeline, Zelina and Hades come back together in the middle of the town square. Uh, So Hades is spinning this entire yarn about how, as we talked about before, he opened up the portal because it's not because he wanted babyhood for the time-traveling spell. He wanted to save babyhood from the heroes and that... You know, he wanted to protect her family because he still harbors feelings for her to the point where he claims that (laughs) the reason why the underworld looks like Storybrooke is because he knew that Zelina was jealous of everything that Regina had, including her own fabricated town. And so he wanted to make a version of her of of this for her. Kurt, are, are you buying what he's selling here? Because, again, I'll bring up this point that I made earlier on in the podcast. I just... I had to take everything he said here with a grain of salt. I have to believe that he's working for some sort of ulterior motive here. No, I, I don't. I, 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 it's, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, as it's just hard to believe him. Like he seemed, maybe it's more like in the Oz storyline, he seemed a bit more sincere. Like I didn't believe that he was trying to scam Zelina. Like Zelina thought that he was trying to scam Zelina. And even here at the end of this, where it, I mean, you know, the scene kind of ends with him like, well, if you change your mind, I'll be around. Like, and, and, and that, that was the only thing that made this seem believable to me. Um, the, the, the fact that he didn't try to push the matter, but it's just the, and the rationale just seemed so odd to me is like, okay, so this place looks like Storybrooke because it basically it's almost like he's saying, I had always intended for you to be my queen. I mean, it, it's almost like, again, talk, men making decisions for women in this show from, from gold saying, you know what? You can give up my second born to, 
uh, you know, to Hades kind of assumptively thinking that Zelina would give up her spot in Oz to live here uh, is almost what he's saying. And, and not only that, but the fact that he was, he wasn't trying to kidnap uh, her baby. He was trying to rescue her baby so that he could eventually return her to, to Zelina. I, I'm just not buying a lot of stuff that's going on here. Yeah, there's, I agree. There's a lot of mansplaining going on this episode or, or manspelling, I guess, if you will, considering that he created this out of magic. I was just, I don't understand the logistics of like, what, what did the underworld look like before he came back from Oz and was like, oh, I have a great idea. I'm going to redecorate. Were people just like wandering around aimlessly in like a blank space that didn't resemble anything whatsoever? Or do maybe did Hades try to chase after a woman beforehand and then try to decorate the underworld like that? Is this just like something he does when he's chasing the latest woman? Oh, maybe. Who knows? Maybe it was like the classic, you know, seven, le- seven layers, seven levels, uh, several circles. Um, I, I, I'm picturing like fiery pits. But again, he even says a couple of times, this is referred to, it's like, you know, it's not hell. It's the underworld. It's a little bit different. It's like on the way there. Um, so I, I don't know. It could have been given that he it's been eons uh, since he had felt love uh, before he met Zelina. Uh, it could have been any number of things. If it wasn't based, it sounds like he hadn't fancied any uh, women before Zelina for a long, long time. So maybe it was just based on, uh, you know, you know, passing hobbies. Like he was a huge bowling fan. Maybe it was just they looked like one big bowling alley um, <laughs> where you didn't get to disinfect the shoes uh, with a spray. Um, yeah. I'm not really, really sure, but that's, that's a really good point um, is that, you know, according to him, he made this look like Storybrooke relatively, you know, recently. Um, so, you know, what was there before it? It could be anything. It really could be yeah. anything. I'm also just confused about like why he th- apparently claims that he did this because Zelina wanted the town to herself because again, her, I, and maybe I'm misremembering the latter half of season three here, but I feel like her motives never lie with, I wanted the town. They, you know, Regina created another dark curse in the first place in those flashbacks during the season three B to bring the, everyone back to Storybrooke because she said, Oh, Zelina's here. Only light magic can defeat her. We need to go get Emma back. It wasn't like Zelina said, okay, we're all going back to Storybrooke now. It was just when she knew that they were going back to Storybrooke, she said, okay, everyone except me is going to have their memories wiped. So I don't think Zelina ever actively sought out Storybrooke. And again, I might be wrong on this, but that just muddles it even more in my opinion. Why does somebody want a town? What are you going to, what are you going to do with a town? Build like, real estate. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you know, get something like practical, get a, get our, our pony. Don't get a town. Uh, yeah, too late. <laughs> like, yeah, you need to keep the receipt. So what, what if, uh, what if she went down to the underworld and it was just like a bike shop? It was just one giant bike shop because he knew how much she loved bicycles. <laughs> like that one experience they had is like <laughs> completely fuels this really overthought romantic gesture that she is just completely not interested. Like, okay, it was fun, but I really, that's like, yeah, you know, I, I pet that puppy in the park the other day. It doesn't mean I wanted you to buy me a dog, sh- you know, dog shop or, you know, a pet store, uh, yep. <laughs> dog shop. 
<laughs> that old the old dog the old, shop. The old dog shop. Uh, um, yeah, that does. I completely uh, agree. And again, maybe it just shows how pseudo crazy Hades is yeah. here. Uh, Kurt, do you have any more thoughts about this episode? And I know you wanted to talk a little bit about what you might think might be coming up later on in these next batch of episodes. Well, uh, Rachel, Rachel also asked, "What's the uh, if you know, Hades and Zelina are a thing? What are we shipping them as? What's their what's their couple name? Helena, uh, uh, the capital, say, capital of Montana." I, I was going to say Helena, I was going to say Hadelina or Hadlina. I feel like you have to keep Ooh. the Lena in the end just because it's too good. Yeah, although there is something nice about Zadies. Zadies <laughs> sounds like an off-brand jewelry I was thinking store. the exact same thing. I was thinking that's where you go to buy some really bad oh, jewelry. Oh, he went to Zadies. That's why that jewel fell right off the ring. <laughs> yeah, every... Every every zap begins with Z. Or yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, it, and yeah, Helena, Helena. Um, I kind of want to go Zadies. To be though, all right, all right. Now, now that we talked it up, I think we have to go with Zadies now, just to to sort of spite ourselves. <laughs> yeah, that's that, uh, there. We go. We'll go with that. <laughs> Perfect. So, do you have any thoughts about what's to come in the next few episodes? Because it seems like we're going back to Bell's past next episode. It seems. Well, it's. Um, I guess the quite originally they just wanted to kind of revisit this. We had pegged episode 17, the, uh, the next, uh, episode as the one in which they all escape from the underworld, or at least where, <laughs> where hook is hook is freed from the underworld. Uh, I think was what we had said from the previews. I don't want to give anything uh, much away for those who don't watch the previews. It doesn't look like that's necessarily going to happen. It's not at least from, it doesn't show it as the, the central point. Um, but now at some point we've, we, we do have also the thing of like, if there is going to be a battle brought to, if there is indeed being a battle brought to Hades, I have a feeling that has to predate the escape from the underworld. It could happen in the same episode, but I think defeating Hades is a necessary precursor to escaping the underworld. Um, if that having been said, if next week's episode 17, uh, is episode 18 too soon for a Hades defeat? And if so, are we looking at episode 19 as an escape from the underworld? I don't know. I mean, again, I, we might want to go back to our model here of like our last two episodes, specifically in the spring season, being extremely different from the rest of the season. And so I might be a little more conservative and say definitely by episode 20, Hades will be defeated. What I'm questioning now is now that we've had, as we talked about, our two major characters that were left in Storybrooke come now down to the underworld do the creators feel like they have a reason now to go back to Storybrooke this soon? Or do they feel like, okay, everyone who's important is down here. Let's have them fight down here. And then they'll go back to Storybrooke afterwards. Now we're we looking at a 22 episode season. I'm, I'm assuming so. Yeah. Then the, if the, if so, we have to be out of the underworld uh, by 20. Mm-hmm. You would assume so. But again, maybe they'll pull something else on us. Maybe they'll go to another, maybe they'll all get sent to hell or to Mount Olympus for the last two episodes. But I would assume they'd at least get out of the underworld by episode 20. I would say, okay, I would, okay here's, here's, what I, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that we will be out of the underworld by episode 19. That we mm-hmm. will wrap up the underworld storylines in episode 20, meaning there's still maybe some, some Hades repercussions in the overworld in Storybrooke proper. Um, but that let's, let's still keep episodes 21 and 22 as pretty distinct storylines from what's been going on in uh, the underworld, uh, pretty distinct storylines in order to set up the next season. 
All right. So listeners, hold us accountable for that. Uh, you know, we only, I mean, it'll be a few more, it'll be a month until we get to episode 20, but uh, feel free to keep that tracker on. And if you have any theories as to when you think we might escape the underworld or how Zelina might have gotten back to Storybrooke somehow, or, or if you think Bell and Gold should stay together or if they should stay apart, as we talked about in the beginning, you have a bunch of ways to reach out to us. Please leave uh, a response here on the page at Post Show Recaps. Again, we implore you guys, feel free to post your thoughts, comments, responses, and especially theories over the course of the week uh, so that we can talk about them on next week's show and just kind of ruminate them and maybe they'll tie into that week's episode as well. Uh, and while you're there, please subscribe to our Once Upon a Time only feed at postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. And as always, you can also talk to us on Twitter as well with your thoughts. I am at a Mike Bloom type. Kurt is at Kurt Clark. And while you're here on Post Show Recaps, check out all the other fantastic stuff that's going on. As we're talking right now, The Walking Dead is having its season finale, which I'm sure is going to be electric, despite the fact that they don't have any electricity probably at, at that time. They, they do, uh, they do. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> Solar powers. I, color me surprised. <laughs> uh, Better Call Saul is still going on. I believe Daredevil is starting to wrap up with its coverage. Seinfeld is ongoing. SNL just had a, an interesting episode with Peter Dinklage as well. So there is plenty of content going on this spring and post-show recaps, including us. We, we will be back next week as we are making our way through this back half of season five. But to finish things off, Kurt, what's a hashtag for people that have made it all the way to the end of this podcast? Um, I think we should go with uh, Toto Talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> hashtag Toto Talk but, to promote our other podcast. Yeah, but uh, if you also were confused by the whole, why do they want to talk to dead Neil? Um, please also use hashtag Oh That Neil. <laughs> <laughs> or not dead Neil. Yeah, yeah either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, if, yeah, if, if, if you were also confused by that, make, make some sort of, uh, oh, that Neil or not dead Neil uh, uh, hashtag, just because I, I, I want to I know that I wasn't alone in that for at least a fraction of a second. I'm sure you weren't. And we, we love to hear from you guys in any way, shape, or form. So please uh, let us know if you were as confused as Kurt was about the uh, the misnaming or, I guess, uh, misreference of Neil there. But that's going to do th- uh, that's gonna do it here for us this week on Once Upon a Recap. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. Feel free to use any one of the hashtags we just mentioned. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. And remember... Just don't abuse living person's breath. You can just occasionally have a little bit at a friend's party, but from there, it's a pretty steep slope. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>